Welcome back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here. In the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake Friedman. And I'm Brendan Hansen. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. This week is a two-part episode that I'm very excited about. Jake and I are going to talk about games as gifts. And we also did a draft where we built collections for $100 or less. So we're going to split this episode into two parts. We're going to talk about games as gifts. Everything you might need to consider while thinking about giving games as gifts to people. It's sort of that time of year. And then on the back end of the show, we're going to talk through this exercise of building a collection for under $100, which is sort of loosely related to the previous idea. Maybe we'll kind of... We didn't want to recommend specific games as gifts, and we thought this would be a fun way to kind of tie it into the feel of the show. And then we also get to do a cool exercise and talk about it with all of you. One thing we're intentional about on our show is to not be super forward about selling games to our audience. We try and just give our opinions, talk about games, and let those chips fall where they may. That's why you don't really hear us talking much about this is the price of the game, things like that that are more directly related to that question of should I buy it or should I not? So in some ways, I think this exercise of picking our collection with a budget of $100 is is the first time we're sort of like dipping our toes into that. Again, not explicitly telling people to go out and buy things. But I think for the first time, we're sort of saying like, these are games that have a great value. Yeah. And Jake, boy, did we find some games with good value. I'm so excited (laughs) to talk about the collections we drafted. We both sort of went in different directions and I'm going to be really curious to hear what the response is from the audience on like which collection they would pick maybe. And most importantly, what $100 game collection they would build if given those same criteria. So surely there'll be fun, tons of fun discussion following this in our Discord. If you want to join these great conversations that happen after every episode, we have a link in the description of this podcast down in the show notes. Um, And we would love to have you join us there. And an exciting announcement. One thing that we have going on in the Discord right now, uh, as you're listening to this episode, is our poll. What do we call this? A poll? A ranking poll up? So one thing we did last year, and it's going to be a trend that we are going to continue this year. Or no, a tradition. It's a tradition, a decision-based tradition, is we will once again be ranking every game that we've covered on the show this year in a final sort of holiday blowout end-of-year episode. And we have the ability for you, the listener, to go into our Discord and vote in that poll yourself so that we will, at the end of the episode, be able to compare Brendan and I's list of our top games of the year to what our audience thought the top games of the year are among those that we've covered. And we'd love to have you participate in that. You can also, if you want to just forego the Discord entirely, that's fine. You can also vote in our poll at decisionspacepodcast.com slash ranking. And I will also chip in and say that you don't have to have played every single game that Jake and I covered on the show this year to participate. Uh, You can potentially just rank the games that you have played, or you can rank them in order of interest. Sort of number one is the game I most want to play, or maybe number one is the game I have played and enjoyed most, and then go down the list. But we'd love for you to participate either decisionspacepodcast.com slash rankings, like Jake said, or in the appropriate channel in our Discord. All right. And one other announcement before we get into giving games as gifts discussion topic is to let our pre-planners know that at long last, kind of fitting as this will be 
maybe the final game covered before we hit episode 100. If not the final game, the second to last game covered before we hit episode 100. We'll be covering one of the games we talked about covering on this show from the very beginning. Honestly, one of the sort of impetuses for thinking about decision space in games for me and and how it's interesting, how it fits in with these sports analogies that we were really into at the beginning of the show and have fallen (laughs) off of lately, we will be covering BattleCon. Jake, I'm so excited for this game. Uh, I'm going to save it and I'm not going to go into it because I know when we cover it in our episode next week, it's going to be a phenomenal episode about a game that sort of defies a lot of trends in the board game industry and manages to do something unique sort of of its own, but really emulating something else. I'm not going to go into it more, but I will say if you want to check out BattleCon alongside of us, uh, you won't have time to source a physical copy that you could print and play one. I think there are options to do that, but there's also a free online version of the game uh, on Steam. So if you just search BattleCon on Steam, you could find it. It's not the most active, but it's a great way to learn the game and mess around with the systems. Uh, so if you want to pre-plan along, maybe that's a fun little way you could get your head into the game before we jump into it next week. And it's going to be a good one. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it should be great. But without further ado, things to consider while giving games as gifts. Brendan, let's just jump right into this topic and think first about if we're going to give a game as a gift to somebody, the first thing that comes to mind is the audience, who that person yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. And I think why even cover this in the first place, too? And I feel part of that is giving games as gifts can be precarious, right? There's so much potential for it to go so right, but there's also so much potential for it to go so wrong. I know the games I was given as gifts that were total flops, where I was given this game and I sort of said, oh, Thank you so much for getting me a game. And then I never touched it. Um, And that's okay. Not all games can hit uh, as gifts. But I think that if you are intentional with the way you give a gift, a game is a gift, it can go a long way. And like you were saying, Jake, audience really matters. So you have to consider, like, who am I giving this game to and what is their experience with games? Are they a gamer? Do they play board games regularly? Are they a video gamer, but they've never played a board game? Will this person have an interest in owning and playing a game? Are they a non-gamer? If so, why are you buying this person a gift, uh, a game as a gift? And that doesn't mean you shouldn't, but you got to take some things into consideration there, right? I guess also, how how often do you give games as gifts, Jay? Fairly often. I think I give games and gifts in two situations primarily. One is just offloading games that I am moving out of my collection to friends who I know are gamers and I think might enjoy them or maybe even actively request them. Um, And that's something I love to do. And the other is, you know, birthday, holidays. And so, you know, I think I've started thinking about Christmas shopping a little bit this year. And I think I'll be giving one game this year as a gift to my mom. And I can talk a little bit more about that later on if, if we want. But but not very many for just sort of like the general, like I have to think of a gift and I, I you know, buy, buying somebody a board game. I think it's more fraught than it isn't. So my blanket advice at the top, be probably don't. Yeah. Yeah. Why? It kind of comes down to a couple of factors. One is that unless you know that the person 
is a gamer. So let's start with if you if you know the person is a board gamer, a board game enthusiast, one of us or or somebody who's interested in entering this hobby, then I think what you should do is ask them what games they're interested in. Yeah. You know, uh, if it's somebody who is on Board Game Geek, maybe they can just give you a screenshot of their collection, right? I think that's something that a lot of, uh, I noticed the Board Game Barrage Secret Santa, they call it Ghost Turkey, excuse me, uh, where it's like a community-wide gift exchange to where everybody's assigned somebody to give to. They require that everybody has an updated Board Game Geek collection page so that it can be shared with the person so that you know that you won't be doubling up on a game they already have. So I think that's important, right? It stinks to get like a double copy of a game that you already have. That's happened to me before. Uh, I think my father-in-law gave me a game that I really appreciated, super thoughtful, time stories, but I already owned it. So, yeah. uh, you know, I was able to return it and exchange it. No big deal, but, you know, kind of like that moment of like unwrapping the present and you're like, great, a game, but <laughs> I have it already. It's kind of awkward. And I think the other thing, to think about with gamers is that our tastes are so specific unto ourselves. And this is something that really came to the fore for me anytime I'm with my wife and we dip into a game store, something we like to do on vacation, you know, see a new one, or even if we're just in the miniature market retail store here, you know, looking through the shelves, like so often there, there's just so many games that I don't really have any interest in playing, Mm -hmm. you know, just shelves and shelves of games. And it's really exciting to be in there and look at them. But, you know, nine times out of 10, if Bridget just pulls a game off the shelf because it's a theme that appeals to her or, you know, some other reason, it's just a, it's either a game like I know I don't like, or it's a game that I've never heard of, and then I Google it on Board Game Geek, and it's like has like a rating of like six point two. Yeah, I feel like you're you're summarizing some really good key points here, which is that with gifts, you always want it to be exciting and special, and when with hobby gifts, it's even harder, right? Because you're either in your experience, you're getting games from people who are outside the board gaming hobby, and at least in the same way you are, so they don't have the insider knowledge to know exactly what you would want without asking. And if you give a game to someone who doesn't play games, you have to really take into account that you're like almost offering a hobby experience, which can be dicey because you never want to give a gift that becomes a problem for someone, right? Like it sucks to be given a gift where it's like, oh, now I have this thing that exists in my life that I don't want to use. And now as an object taking up vital, like precious space in my home and footprint of my brain. Gee, thanks. Like that's no fun. So in my mind, either it's like if I'm giving someone who's a gamer, like you said, Jake, just ask. Or there might be a really special circumstance where if I was buying Jake a gift, I would buy him Bruges. That'd be the only game I'd consider buying for Jake. An out-of-print game that I know he loves, but I wouldn't dare give it to him without the expansion, the river expansion, (laughs) that I know is the thing that he actually wants to help get that game to the table. So if you have something that could be a really special surprise that you know is a slam dunk, go for it. But otherwise, I feel like treading lightly is the way. And then if you're giving a gift to a gamer, I don't think you have to take into account things like the rules, te- how hard mm-hmm. are the rules to teach or are they going to get this played? That's something that they're used to doing themselves and it's a, a core part of their experience with something, right? But if I'm giving a game to someone who doesn't play games, the number one thing that comes to mind is how can I, t- it, can I play this with them? So I'm giving them a game, yes, but I'm also just giving them an experience, right? I'm trying to give them a memorable experience that we can have together. I'm going to buy my aunt Blue Lagoon. I'm going to teach her the rules and we're going to play it together. 
And here's my, here's how that I think that might happen. And I know that she's open to that. That mm-hmm. could be a much better experience than here's this game. I think you'll like it. Bye. I think your analogy about giving somebody a hobby experience is so apt because if you just tran- transfer it, uh, what's this like transpose? What's the word? Yeah, sure. Like, Tran- sure. Transpose. Yeah. So you want to transpose that with like a different hobby experience of somebody knitting. giving to you. Exactly. Like, so your, your wife really loves knitting, for example, or your partner really loves knitting and they love it so much that they want you to love it too and share that experience with you. So you open your Christmas or Hanukkah or birthday gift and inside you have a starter knitting set or I can now, you know, how to crochet a hat book <laughs> with like the necessary ingredients. That might be great. Maybe you're someone who would really appreciate that. But I think as for like a blanket Everyone who has never, you know, experienced that hobby before in any way, receiving that gift is probably something that's just going to sit there. And even if they're willing to, oh, and don't worry, I'm happy to like teach you how to do it. Your first, you know, crocheting lesson is on me. Well, that's like really assuming a lot of somebody's time, you know, and I think board games are exactly comparable with that. It's like, here's your fishing rod don't worry, I'll take you out fishing. You know, we'll drive 45 minutes out to somebody's lake uh, and spend the day doing that. It's like, well, that is great for somebody, but it's certainly not going to be, you know, the gift or experience that everybody wants to be occupying their time. So now not only have you like given somebody like a burden of like just a physical object that they don't have any sort of interest in, but now you're also expecting, you know, sort of in return some of their yeah. time. Yeah. So, I, you know, it's just very, very, very fraught uh, unless you know something about the person. So clearly, you know something about your aunt that she would be open to this, that perhaps she's enjoyed similar games or even this game with you in the past and, you know, enjoys the time to play games. Because yep. certainly not, that's not true of everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I don't, no matter how much you love games, you should not give a game as a gift to someone who you think who you one don't know if they like games or not, or two definitely don't. If you think they don't like games, <laughs> that yeah. would just be an awful gift. And I think it, it should go beyond like <laughs> you think they, if, if you kind of think they might like playing games, that's probably not good enough. No, it probably has to be like, you know, we they like love games. games so yes. we think that everyone, you know, just as like a bias or like, I think board games have something to offer for everybody. That's yes. what I believe. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that other people share that same belief or yeah. that I, it's my responsibility or duty to like evangelize them into the board gaming hobby yeah. with their Christmas gift. Exactly. So if you do, though, if you know they like games, it can be a good gift. You Games as gifts can work great, but you just have to think about how the experience of the gift will be received, too. Yeah. So. I think one more thing just as like a general note on this is to be really careful too that this gift isn't covertly a gift to you. To you. Oh, yeah. So important, Drake. Like I I, do it. A couple of examples would be when I was a kid and I would be at Target with my mom, you know, what? And she's like, what does your sister want for Christmas? Like, I think she might really want Luigi's Mansion for the Nintendo GameCube. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't like that. That's just like a crappy little kid move because it's like, you know what? Maybe she'll like it or maybe 
if she won't, it doesn't matter. I'll get to play Luigi's Mansion on the Nintendo GameCube. And I think, you know, it's easy to sort of fall into that like little kid, shitty little kid mentality, even as an adult, to where it's like, you know, I've asked things like my wife, like what game would you be interested in? And that's great. You know, if I get her at the game store and seeing like what appeals to her, trying something that might be outside of what I would pick for myself. But if I buy that game, I have to accept that that is not a gift for Bridget. That's a gift for myself, you know, to get a game that Bridget might want to play with me and we could enjoy together. But I can't like put that on like the like Bridget Christmas gift list, you know, no way. This would be like if I bought my running shoes because I want as a Christmas gift or as a Hanukkah gift because I wanted her to come running with Miller and I. But like she has no interest in running. Like, that's not a gift. You're that's, right. What, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah totally. right. Yeah. You can't buy gifts for yourself for someone else because everyone knows exactly what you're doing and it yeah. defeats the purpose of gift giving at all. Right. Maybe really quickly, Jake, we can talk about now that we've done all the disclaimers. That's so, the most important part of the episode. That's the most important part of the episode. But so but I return to my first point. Probably don't. That is my <laughs> it still remains my advice. But so so you you found your sweet spot. You you found us a situation where you are going to give as a game as a gift. What we sh- I think we should talk through things that you should consider just in case, right? Mm. Jake's okay. like, no, just just don't, <laughs> just Let's don't. Do it. Okay, yeah. The number one thing is I feel like he- I'm just going to list them and then we can talk about what's most important: size, complexity, theme, and overall excitement. I feel like when you're giving something as a gift, airing lighter feels better to me than airing too heavy. Absolutely, yeah. Because the, it's going to hit the table easier, which means there's more of a chance for them to actually experience your gift. Which it, we've already established, it has to hit the table, like probably that day. Within a week. That within day, a week. If it doesn't hit the table within a week, it's never hitting the table. That's just yeah. the decision space gift giving board game principle number one. Yes. If it doesn't hit the table in the first week and you aren't there to physically see it happen, it didn't happen and it won't happen. Yeah, totally. I also, you know, Jake, there are... S- I I will say, I want to bring the caveats back slightly. I think that you, I would trust you to buy games for me. I would trust myself to buy games for you. And there's like a handful of people who I would also trust buying games for, for yeah. me or for them. But it's so rare. And I think when that comes into play, it's sort of like, why did the, why does this person not own the game already? Is it because they don't think they'll have the chance to play it with a group and you can provide a group? Great. That's really awesome for them. If Jake was going to give me, say... I don't know, a Vital a Vital Lacerda game and had planned an afternoon where I knew Jake knew that my co-friend was going to be there. We're going to play a three player game of Weather Machine. Awesome gift. I'm so excited. <laughs> right. But yeah. that's a really rare scenario. I don't think I would think of a Vital Lacerda game for you, but yeah. What? I want to play it with you. OK, fine. <laughs> no, I, I agree. But I think, again, that's kind of back to this idea of giving a game to a gamer, which just in the yeah, the one caveat so there is you need to have insider information on what they may want. And yeah, I have yep. that for you and you have that for me. And yes, a, and right. even uh, in non gamers in my life will often ask for what I would like for my birthday or what I would like for Christmas or whatever. Um, and it's great to be able to say, like, well, here's like a few different because people like to surprise you. They don't want to just like buy you one thing. Yeah. So yep. sometimes I'll send somebody like here are like five board games that I would love to receive any one of yeah. for this gift. And I think it's great, actually, that this hobby has 
that because it makes giving games, it makes gift giving, I think, to me really easy. I always have an answer when somebody's like, what do you want for Christmas? It's like easy for me to think of two or three games that I might be interested in. They're relatively cheap. You know, it's easy to fit a game under any, you know, this is our price limit for our family gift exchange. It's like 40 bucks, right? It's easy that I could pick a game that fits easily under that. So I'm not asking somebody to, you know, go above and beyond. And I think that's totally fine. And and just asking somebody like, are there any like games you're interested in? Like shoot me a list of two or three. I think any gamer in your life would love that opportunity. Totally. Yeah. I think so too. Do you want to, do you have any closing thoughts on games as gifts, Jake? Besides don't do it except for gamers. And if you do know that it will hit and hit the table in a week. For non-gamers, again, you need to have insider information, not about like what games they want, but about what are the situations around this gift exchange? If I, the reason I'm choosing to give a game to my mom for Christmas is I'm giving her the game called uh, Poetry for Neanderthals. It's a party game uh, where you can only speak. You have to get your teammates to guess a word on a card and you can only speak in one word clues. So I, I played this at a friend's house recently and had an absolute blast with it. I was trying to get them to guess the word neck. And I could not, for the life of me, think of, you know, how to describe neck in one word clues. So I kept just saying, like, head stock. <laughs> That's like, good. That's good. Yeah, I thought it was like, head stock, head stock. And they're just like looking at me, just everyone's like laughing hysterically because it's like such an absurd thing. And, I, you know, but I kept wanting to be like, shoulder, no. I was like, in, in throat <laughs> or out throat. Like, it's just like everybody's laughing, having a great time, you know. It's super light. It's a fun communal experience. You know, it's flexible. That's probably important. It could work with just four people, but it could also accommodate more people than that. It also, I, I was going to say, when you li- listed through the your considerations, that theme might be mm-hmm. the most important one. That's something Bridget always is saying to me about games. Like, you need to tell them on the podcast that, you know, if people aren't super into games, gaming like you need to be thinking about the theme first like get a theme that will appeal to them that's the way to get people into game so my mom is a writer she loves writing she writes poetry so i think just immediately like you know that this is like a game that is sort of tangentially a poetry game is something that is absolutely going to be a slam dunk with her um so being able to bring in something else you know about that person and finding a game that fits with that i think can be really key too but again the most important thing about this is the environment of the gift giving. I'll be giving it to her over the Christmas holiday. I'll be staying in their my parents' house for a week. There'll be ample opportunities to play games together, you know, so I know that I'll be able to do the teach. I'm very confident people have fun and it's not putting a burden on anyone because we'll be, you know, in that situation hanging out anyway. That's awesome. I love that. See, and you have just in mind how you're going to get it played. You know that it hits thematically. You know your mom already enjoys playing games with you, so it will be a welcome addition to that ex- that expected maybe to come experience. So great. This was really fraught. I didn't think this was going to be such a fraught topic. <laughs> we, we just came in and we were like, don't do it. It's, it's and maybe that's fun. why just our, that's just, if this is our bias, this is why we're so reluctant to say, even on a game that we both loved, you know, you should buy like to say like, go buy this game because it's just tough. I want to, okay, I'm going to do the, the ill advised and I'm going to list out six games I think make good gifts. 
and then we can cap this this section and so we'll you're move saying on to our draft collections go buy these games a hundred percent not okay. quite doing that okay. <laughs> but i'm just gonna really go quickly through them and jake you can say eh, if you think it's a bad idea okay and this mostly is from my own experience so my yeah. may vary for someone who loves rummy cub which i know is a specific type of gamer azul great game for someone who loves trick-taking games and grew up playing spades or something just get get them fox in the forest and play it together uh for a whole family if you have two three or four people and you want to spend 45 minutes having a nice experience over a board which is important to some people when they think about board games blue lagoon lovely experience not too heavy for a friend group if you just want to have a really lovely holiday season i'm smiling but there's great memories to be had just the resistance can you go wrong jake i'm I'm unintentionally souping up my future collection okay (laughs) (laughs) for a spell of morning holiday fun this is this is a sham (laughs) (laughs) this is all gonna make more sense soon but for a spell of morning holiday fun i think railroad inc is actually great You, you don't it doesn't you can just bring that you can give it to the group as a gift anyone who wants to opt in can grab a pad it plays up to six it's done in 20 minutes. It's cute and fun. This is the, the first one I'm kind of being like doing the like buzzer. I think it's a little too complex for you think so? most people. Like there, there is like a considerable teach there, a lot of symbology to parse when you first roll those dice. I think I would, I would opt lighter in this space. And I think like if for, for like a, if it's kind of like the fun, like roll and write game over kicking around, Maybe a game like uh, Silver and Gold by Reiner Knizia is a little lighter, a little simpler. Phil Walker Harding. Yeah, I would say Quicks maybe is another good one, for example. Oh, I see what's <laughs> happening here. <laughs> okay, well, go lighter, go slightly heavier if you think two out of three of your cousins could handle Railroad Inc. I don't know. And then the final one, Evening Party Gift. Maybe this one's too obvious, but Codenames. Yeah, Codenames I wouldn't... I would, like perfect. Codenames is no? fantastic, but... It's not my word game of choice. I think that just one, I think just one is probably the safest bet because I think Codenames is fantastic and a little bit of a richer experience, but is a little less accessible, just has more of a a burdensome setup where just one, you can literally opt in or out and teach within seconds, which I think makes it just a little bit safer of a gift for most groups. And then finally, what you could do instead of giving gifts at all is just play celebrity with your family because it's the best game experience there is. And then for yeah. this type of setting and then not worry about bringing in out some object that might turn some people off. Yeah, I, I think Jenga. Yeah, there are fun, classic games that people yeah. already know and will already like. Um, and I think that's great, too. And, you know, if, if your family already likes Settlers of Catan and you've sort of moved on, but they haven't or Scrabble. Like those are sort of the perfect games to play with your family over the holidays. Make a memory. Yeah. Make a memory. Yeah. It doesn't just have to be for the game. Okay. That was awesome. But Jake, we have a job to do because we have built collections. We've drafted collections. That's right. For $100. Do you want to talk the audience through the fairly loose rules that we used clearly? And then we'll kind of, we've already done this. We're not drafting in real time. Jake and I, async because of the async gamers in our in our little hearts uh asynchronously drafted back and forth with each other so we'll talk you through our draft and our picks and then talk through how we feel about our collections but jake what were our rules that we used so we our rules was that we had a 100 budget so in order to have a game added to our collection 
we had to subtract from $100 the cost of the game. And we wanted to use games that were in stock that people theoretically, if, if we were doing this in real time, right, yeah. uh, we would be able to go and buy. And I think what we were thinking about, or I, I was thinking about, correct me if you had a different sort of idea about what you were trying to accomplish with your collection, was that if I had to get rid of all of my games and I was building up a brand new collection, or if I was somebody who didn't already have any games and I was building up a collection from nothing, either way, these this is how I would spend $100. And I was also thinking that this isn't necessarily like the first $100 with a plan to eventually build out to a full you know 100 game collection again. It's like, this is the games that you would have access to sort of for the long haul. Yep. I completely agree with that. I thought of this as sort of like, this is my collection. This is $100. These are the games I own. I have to make the most of it, uh, which interestingly, I feel like pushed me towards, I wanted more games so I could have more options. It pushed me towards maybe some lighter games. And I want to also say, when Jake says we had to find it available in stock, we were looking online and we, if we could find a price, that was the price that we used for the most part. Most of these prices are taken from a website called Game Nerds. Some of them, maybe dip into some holiday deals on sites like Amazon. Yeah, it was interesting because we're doing this like literally on and on and around Black Friday, Cyber Monday. So yep. we found some good deals for yeah. sure. And also, I, I and these are not like, oh, this is available for $8 here, but the shipping from yeah, we ignored is shipping. 20 bucks. No, I, I, I was going to say like, I think a lot of these are just like from big retailers with like very like normal shipping costs or even Amazon, which would be available for prime. Yeah. But we didn't take shipping into account. We did not take shipping or tax into account. Yeah. No taxes. Yeah. But, but I was just saying like, this wasn't like, like off, off the wall, third party websites where maybe, right. they have, you know, how like you, if you go on Amazon, you like click other sellers. So it would be like one that's like half price and then shipping yeah. is like 40 bucks. It's like none of that going on here. Yeah. There's no, no, if there's any shenanigans, they were, Mostly fair shenanigans based yeah. on you could go to a website and buy it for that price. Brendan cheated a little bit, but no, I didn't. <laughs> okay, I made a I'm list of kidding. games. I kidding. made a whole list of games. I showed Jake my whole hand, and Jake was like, "Yeah, uh, any games you could think of are work." So I played my hand to Jake, and then I had to, then I, then I had to go outside the, the list. Like, that you I could shared add some games here. I'm like, I'm not gonna do that. Jake was like, "I'm not showing you my hand." So. <laughs> the record state also jake had me show him all my cards and then but you drafted first which was an advantage apparently yeah drafting first is a huge advantage because we did not do a snake draft this to make it true. more fair i would have got to pick twice but i was willing to cede that enormous advantage to you out of the kindness of my heart it is okay. the, the gift giving season and my first game oh well you talked a little bit about what you want to do with your collection. Mine was pretty much the same. I basically, though, wanted a game for every occasion. So in trying to have a game for every occasion that I might want to play games, I knew that the number one game I needed in my collection that Jake might snatch. We took that into account, too. There are a few times where we were going through this list. Where I was like, "Ooh, if I don't take this now, I think Jake might take it. Yeah, so, that the, so happens, that's the other thing, important caveat. So right, yeah. we wanted to have a list of more games. So that's why we didn't swap, but perhaps... Are, there are some of these games that might have made both of our lists right. if we had allowed it. But when one of us drafted it, the other person, they couldn't have it. So, yeah. yeah. My okay. number one game was The Resistance, which came in at 1847. 
And I think this is potentially the best $18.47 I'll ever spend in my entire life. Because I think the Resistance is the type of game that would, it just sits so squarely and wonderfully in almost every collection. It plays up to 10 people. And I think it's really hard to build a collection with having at least one game that could play up to 10 people without something like this. So it, it covers parties. And all social deduction games get measured against the Resistance anyway. I feel like for the rest of time, Jake, whenever someone talks about a social deduction game, almost always the resistance is going to come up as a comparison. It's like Tetris and Polyominoes. Like the resistance is social deduction in my mind. Someone out there is yelling into their earphones. What about Werewolf, Brendan? What about Werewolf? And I say, what about the resistance? It's a great pick. I think some of my formative, you know, hobby board gaming experiences and literally, and and when I think back on those nights, like fondly, just some of the most fun game playing I've ever done. And it was just the resistance for round after round after round with like eight or nine people around a table. Uh, And yeah, it's a great pick. And, you know, and I looking over my list, I don't have a social deduction game and it does feel like that's tough. But I also think about my real life of owning the resistance and I probably haven't played it in five years because my wife doesn't like Mm. games where people are yelling at each other. And so it'd be hard for me to like justify one of my games to be a game that I know my wife actively doesn't like. Yeah, that would be a no go, I guess. So I wasn't at risk of losing the resistance if I didn't pick it first. I don't know. I'm pretty selfish. (laughs) (laughs) All right. But yeah, it's a great pick. Uh, You know, I can't fault you at all. All right, should I do my first pick? Heck yeah, which also made me very mad. Yeah, so my first pick, and this was definitely the one I was hoping Brendan wasn't going to take when I offered him the first one. And I was scared because on the list he had sent us, it had that the value of this game highlighted in blue. So I was like, does that mean he's like considering this first? Like, I don't know. Um, but anyway, I picked The Isle of Cats. It's a thirty-five ninety-seven. So this is... A big expensive game for for the content of this list. A third of your collection. A third of my collection right there. But I do think it's worth it for one specific reason, which is that like this game gives you at least two games worth of value in it because it has the competitive strategy game mode and it has the family game mode. And both of them are awesome. Uh, I recently played was in uh, Jackson, Mississippi with my uh, in-laws. And this was one of the games I brought and I played it with uh, Bridget and my mother-in-law, Cheryl. And it just worked so great. That family mode setting Mm. too, just as this like super intuitive, you know, board gives you the experience of like an over the table board game, family game night experience that really anyone can play. Um, and it's fun, genuinely very fun to play it that way. But it also has this true medium weight experience when you play with the income and the different side of the aisle, different cost of cats. You're sort of building up little engines of baskets. You've got the, just a huge deck of cards that to me offers a lot of replayability, which is also super important to me. So I think just for that those that factor it felt worth this price i think it felt like more game than i could perhaps get by pairing a different strategy game and a different lighter family game and i think i 
would enjoy having this more. Uh, and I think to your point about like sort of the niche that I'm trying to fill with this, it's really that like this game covers both family game night with new gamers, people who are brand new to the hobby, um, and also can fit in on like, I'm having friends over to play board games and we're going to get into some serious board game action. I think for a hundred dollar collection, Jake, the question of how am I going to have a heavier, a medium to heavy strategy game that feels like I'm inviting my friends over for a board game night, unless you want your collection to be two games plus maybe a light card game, it's pretty tough to find a solid pick that doesn't burn half your budget. And I think that this is a slam dunk on that on that metric. So yeah, that so Jake, the Isle of Cats. I think we're going to have to clip because we're so excited about all, owning all of these games in our micro collections. And I think that I maybe we to get through all these, we're going to have to go a little quicker. But okay. my next pick, luckily, I already talked about it briefly on the show, was I wanted to go to a game. I didn't think Jake would take this one, but because of the constraint of $100, there's budget considerations. So it jumped up in the draft order for me because the risk of him taking it really would throw off my whole strategy of putting together a collection. Uh, this is... The Fox in the Forest for $11.17. Longtime listeners will know that this is a game that I love. It's a game that Maya and I have been... It's a, it's a two-player trick-taking game that just offers this compact, wonderful, variable experience that you could, in my mind, play forever. I, this is a game I think I'll own for the rest of time. Sometimes Maya and I go dormant on it, then we pack, pick it back up and we enjoy playing it again. Jake and Bridget had uh, a sort of different experience where Bridget got burnt out on it, and I think... So that's why I wasn't worried about Jake picking it. But I think this game's great because you need, in my mind, for who I am and the way I like to play games, I needed a strong two-player game. And The Fox in the Forest was just like, I needed it as part of my collection. That's awesome. I also would never have picked that game in a million years, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I went with my second pick, also a game that I felt filled that niche of a two-player game, but could also play more. But one thing I really love and need to have is like that two-player dueling card game feel. And yeah. I think this does accomplish that niche uh, in a way that obviously I wouldn't be allowed to have Keyforge or like Magic the Gathering. Those wouldn't really fit into uh, this type of collection. But I love card play, right? And I want yeah. like big deck of cards with crazy effects, that sort of card input randomness. Uh, and the game I picked to accomplish all of that was Race for the Galaxy for twenty four forty seven. So I was at this point after two picks, I was looking a little bit wearily at my budget because I was at like sixty dollars spent, and Brendan's at like thirty. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know if this is gonna work out for me. But I was, I feel like the just the replayability and value in the two games I have so far is like pretty hard to match. While we were making these lists, right, we were drafting async. So I had sent Jake my pick and I was waiting for his pick. And I, before he sent his pick, I was sort of like, the next game I'm choosing is Race for the Galaxy. And then he picked that. I was like, no, <laughs> this has to be so Race for the Galaxy for 2447 is just so much value. There's so much game in that box. Now, Jake, you have two games that almost feel like big game night games. Like you could just have people over and say, we're playing race for the galaxy. And that's really what I was that. thinking too. Yeah. It feels, yeah, it just feels like the type of game that you're, you know, maybe eventually you've played it out, but I, I haven't, I don't I'm not so. personally one of those people, but I know there are people who played this like hundreds and thousands of time and still find value in that base game. Yep. The, the interactive decisions. Oh, it's so good. It's a great yeah, game. It packs a lot of punch. You like it more than me. 
And I was still going to try to snag it just because of how, <laughs> how useful it is for building a cheap collection. My next game, though, it kind of falls into this realm as well. This is a Bruno Cathala game, and I, I, I really enjoy Bruno Cathala's games. I knew I wanted something from him uh, in this collection, especially because a lot of his games sort of fit into this lighter footprint with but pack a punch in terms of the decisions they offer so uh they're chewy often and this game uh i thought was a, a steal it's 15 dollars 47 for spiel dr's winner king dominant boom this also in my mind does the thing that isle of cats does though it's on the lighter end in that you can play the two to four player version of this game it's really light you're just kind of breezily building this five by five grid with four people you could play it with a fam your family. It's fun. I like the game that way. But the way I really like the game is the two-player Mighty Duel version that just comes in the regular box, but you use all the tiles. Super crunchy, chewy game for $15.47. Jake, I, I think this one was pretty good. That's a great pick. I, I mean, that's got to be one of the... You know, we're talking about value here for the first time on the show. Yeah. And like, I mean, that's just an insane value for a really, really great game that works as a gateway game, an intro to the hobby, but also a game that, you know, experienced board gamers can find a ton of fun and excitement and skill building, uh, it, especially in that Mighty Duel variant. I think it's a great game uh, and certainly a, a great pick that fits well into any $100 board game collection. All right, my next pick, I knew I was going to pick a word game because I find word games just incredibly accessible. They often are the ones that I like to open up a game night or uh, if people are, are, are over drinking or something, it's uh, having a few drinks. It's like a little bit more, it feels like less of like, hey, we're going to go play board games now. To, to, you know what I mean? Yeah, you can yeah. almost like slip it in by someone. It's like, oh, well, it's just like a quick little thing we can do. So Codenames was on my list. Just One was on my list too. But I went with So Clover. This is my favorite one to pull out at the moment. Um, I've talked about it a lot on this podcast. I think it uh, works really well at player counts up to six. It gives me a little bit more of like a gamery feel than Just One. I get to feel a little bit more clever <laughs> when I'm playing it. Uh, and I think it leads to a little bit more uh, funny moments too. Sometimes it's, I don't think it's as consistent as like hitting with everybody. Sometimes the game gets really quiet and I've found that it, just in the sheer number of people that I've showed it to that sometimes people just find it too stressful and challenging to come up with the good words. So it's not, not necessarily going to work for everyone, but I think it's a good one for me. And the reason I went for this, or I would have also taken just one over code names is just because I think they're they offer a very similar experience in that we're doing like clever word association, but I think they're just easier to get to the table, less of a teach. And at sixteen ninety nine, this was actually the cheapest of the. It was three a little options. bit of a discount, yeah, yeah. And it's newer, it's fresher. A lot of people have played Code Names. I, I think yeah. this is a, a really good pick. I, I was not going to pick it though. This next game on my list. Uh, I guess, Jake, let's do a mid a mid draft review of our game so far, just so people okay. know. So, so Jake has the Isle of Cats, Race for the Galaxy, and So Clover. And right now I have the Resistance, the Fox in the Forest, and King Domino. To that list, I was looking for that game that I was going to have a larger, kind of heavier, heavy I'm using loosely here because 
I wanted, I put Babylonia on the list of games I might pick, but it was $40. I want, I love Cosmic Encounter. That'd be a game I would love to have in any collection, but it was $55. That was too expensive. Can't afford that. Then I was sort of like, okay, what about Castles of Burgundy? Oh, it turns out the Castles of Burgundy Anniversary Edition, the one that you can most readily get right now, $42. I'm not trying to break the bank to have my strategy game. So I needed to find a trap card. And what I found was Carpe Diem by Steffenfeld for $24.99, which that's a lot. of. So Carpe Diem is this really cool uh, tile-laying card objective selection drafting game that initially we covered on the show. It was the second game we ever covered on the show. At the time, Jake liked it way more than me. I think he does still like it way more than me, but I've really come around on Carpe Diem. I think it's a great game. I think about it a lot, uh, and it'd be one that I would love to have and invite people over to play sort of a capital B board game. Yeah. Is, is this the, uh, for twenty four ninety nine? is this the ugly version of the game or like the slightly less ugly version? This is the, the slightly the slightly less ugly the version. The white box one? The white box one. Oh, that's yeah. a good look. Yeah, that's the yeah. one that you want. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I would, yeah, it, it's I mean, it's a great game. It's a great price. I, I don't think for that value, I think you did as well as you possibly could have for finding yeah. that sort of medium weight. Like it's light enough that I think, you know, if you're comparing it to, I don't know, it, it, it's weird, right? I think it has like a lighter weight rating on Board Game Geek than something like Castles of Burgundy, but it feels like it fits right in there, like sort of the mental strain that you're you know what you have to think through on your turn it's very bandwidth testing uh there's a ton of thought that goes into it it's a fantastic game and i think it absolutely fits for that for what you're trying to accomplish with it you know that's a home run yay all right okay so i had you know about 20 bucks left at this point i can i say can i interject jake Sure. I thought Jake was screwed at this point <laughs> because Jake had drafted three games and spent all of his money. But you you did some good stuff here. I, yeah. So I had to get my like little weasel on. And this is probably the pick that I spent the most time <laughs> thinking about. What I wanted to find was sort of like your like I wanted to with my collection, I want to be able to like host a game night. Right. And I find often that you kind of want the filler game. I think a filler game offers a lot of value to a collection. It can be a game that you play while you're waiting for somebody to show up, but it could also be something that you stick in your pocket and play maybe when you're, you know, waiting for a table at a restaurant or or whatever, right? Just opportunities come up. You're out traveling. You want to stick a game in your pocket to play a quick game and enjoy the view and make a memory. Uh, And so that was the slot I was trying to occupy. And I went through a lot of possibilities. Probably the runner up was, Silver and Gold, that mm. Phil Walker Harding game that I really like as a filler game I mentioned before. But the one I went with was Quicks, just sort of like the most dead simple roll and write game there is. And the reason I went with this is because I think you can play it with anyone. I've had tons of fun game nights where I'm just like hanging out with friends and we're just like playing game after game of this. It's also a type of game that you can play while talking and, you know, having a good conversation, which I think is something, you know, sort of like a low key great thing to have in the collection. It's like a game that you can be playing as sort of an activity, but it doesn't require all of your thought. And the other thing I was thinking about is one thing I really love in games is and this is something I've been thinking a, a little bit about in, in the Discord too, is games that sort of offer variable experience in terms of like 
how so this has, game has a lot of randomness, right? It's very mm-hmm. random with the dice and it has this variable in like sort of like how the game is just happening to go for you. And that yeah. doesn't affect your ability to navigate it, but but does impact your score. So it, so I really like games that I could have a really low score or a score way below my average, but I still felt like I made the right decisions and played well or like sort of like the low lows, high ceilings, like what what I was talking about with Bruges too. And I think quicks for a light game really fits that in. Like sometimes you just have a game of quicks where you get exactly the die values that you need to fill up your rows perfectly and quickly. And it's beautiful and it's fantastic. Or you don't, and you just get terrible rolls and it's impossible to win, but it doesn't really change the fact that you still get to make fun decisions for what they are. So I wanted that sort of experience too in games and i felt like after a lot of thought i knew you weren't going to pick this one but after a lot of thought it felt like this was sort of the filler game that also offered this other gaming experience that i really like that i didn't yet have in my collection to the extent that i wanted it so quicks it was tough to go wrong with a game that a lot of some people credit as the game that kicked off the roll and write craze uh coming out before a bunch of them for nine dollars it's just such a 997 such a good deal. I really like this one. I, I was considering, you know, picking Welcome 2 or Cartographers or Trails of Tucana and the three roll and write games I really love all in my large real collection. But for me, it felt tough to find the right value consideration in terms of cost to impact on my collection ratio. And I feel like I couldn't nail it with those three. And you found it with Quicks for like, you can sneak a roll and write game in for 10 bucks and it really does enhance your collection. So this pick, I was never, you're right, never going to pick it. But I I remember reading my phone, seeing the message from you and being like, you dog. Because I had no <laughs> idea you'd be able to do what you did. I was like, oh, that was so good. So I was, what I'm saying is, Jake, I was jealous. And I wanted a game that would be, uh, <laughs> that could like fit a similar niche in my collection by being a really cheap counter pick. And I felt, I wanted another card game. You know, I really love card games. They're so important to how I play games. All three of the games that I've had published so far are card games. I needed more card games, but I needed I needed something cheap. So in the real world, when we want something cheap, we don't go to sushi. But in the board game world, Phil Walker Harding had me covered. I hit up Sushi Go for $6.29. When Jake said that I maybe pulled one out, this seems like it was a holiday deal. $6.29. But I, I routinely see sushi go for pretty cheap. So, listener, yeah. you can decide. I think it. I think it was fair ish. As we're recording this, it's on Target and Amazon for that price. So Heck I can't yeah. really fault. I can't fault you at all. Um, I mean, it's a great game, and at that price, like that, what a steal! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what an incredible steal! Yeah, I, I was pretty upset when I saw that because <laughs> I was. I'm yeah. I'm competitive. I want to win this. It's not even really a game, but yeah, we haven't I even set up how you could win. And Jake and I are both really wanting to win. Yeah, <laughs> and like I, it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, I got, I put myself in a hole early. Maybe I made two ambitious picks with the price without really thinking. But I was like, oh, you know what? I found a good value in quick. So I'm, I'm like, I'm coming back. I'm catching up with them. He's gonna have to spend up, and he's like, nope. I'm just going four dollars less than your ten dollar <laughs> game for sushi go and i was just like damn i wish i had seen that anyway that brings me to my fifth pick with and i have you know something like twelve dollars left yeah, twelve dollars left bucks. so yeah. this so i picked um a 
deck of playing cards for 19 cents but no i'm just kidding i didn't do that that, that would be a cheat for sure <laughs> i did you know i did look at uh, uh target like the, it was like black friday deals and i was looking at it and they had like knockoff jenga called like jumbling blocks for like three dollars and i thought about putting that in but that also seemed like a little cheaty it does feel cheaty <laughs> But I mean, jumbling blocks for three dollars. Who could Heck say no yeah. to that? Who doesn't so, love jumbling blocks? So I didn't cheat with a deck of playing cards or jumbling blocks. Instead, I I wanted to with this pick. I guess just I was trying to find like with ten dollars roughly left. Like, what is the ten dollar game I could find that has like the most depth, the most like replayability? And I went with the Crew Deep Sea. The Crew is a game that is just really impressive. I think that's sort of like one of the takeaways anybody has when they play it. It's like, wow, what a lot of game in a little box. Trick-taking is not really my favorite. So maybe this one, you know, is something that I can sort of like grow to like and, and learn alongside other people as well. I do think the Crew Deep Sea offers more, more valuable, more value to a collection than the original crew just because it has the quick startup you don't have to necessarily follow the logbook. you can just pick three you know difficult you pick your difficulty and it tells you essentially like what challenge cards to draw and how many and i think that gives it more of that sort of like infinite replayability than yeah. the crew where you're just doing like the difficult missions over and over um so yeah i think at ten dollars and, and 17 cents the crew deep sea seems like a slam dunk dunk just in terms of the amount of game in the box and I, at Definitely. that point i was just looking for as much game in a box as i could find yeah i i thought that this pick was really really strong for you jake it gives you a game that sort of like when when you get tired of playing quicks you could just go back to this and play this you could spend whole nights just playing the crew and i think it would be a really solid game in your collection forever so when you took this, I wasn't considering taking it just because I'd already taken the fox in the forest. Yeah, I, I sort knew, of was like, that's, I kind of when I saw that, I was like, "This is probably going to be my last pick." So I'm yeah. like, "There's no way he's going to take two trick taking games." Trick taking games. Yeah, don't put it past me. My wife is Maya. <laughs> she, <did. laughs> you never know. But yeah, I felt like with this, I was like, "Okay, Drake did it. This is a really solid collection of five games for under a hundred dollars that offers so many different experiences." So I applaud you. But I got a six game in. Which is, <laughs> I so I needed a, a Reiner Kinesia game. I I didn't have one, and I was going to be devastated. And I also wanted something slightly heavier. Before I picked Sushi Go, I thought, I've already spent myself out of Babylonia. Tigris and Euphrates was way too expensive. That was never going to happen. Plus, it's out of print. I don't know. I needed something. So I thought, maybe I could do Blue Lagoon. It's like 24 bucks. Maybe that would fit. But the Sushi Go pick pushed me away from that, which brought me to... Another game that I feel is a solid, a solid, you could invite people over to say, let's play modern art, have a board game night out of modern art. And that's the game that I went with 2167. Uh, so it packs a lot of punch. I think that modern art is a timeless classic. It's a game that everyone should play. So it's one that I'd be excited to have in my hundred dollar or less collection because I could experience, introduce it to new people. I've done that a lot of times in my life and it's always gone really well. And it's one that I really enjoy playing. I think it has a, a fun magic circle and I really want to play this game with Jake one day. Jake's like smirking and nodding. I'm, I'm nervous he's about to come out. No, I, I, you know, okay. I've only played it once. I think it does offer like a very dynamic and interesting decision space. I think it's also the type of game that just gets better 
the more experience mm. people have with it. Yeah. You know, so I think if you have a group of people that gets into this, it's the type of game that has like the sort of the meta that will keep shifting and evolving and probably only offer more fun and satisfying experiences as you play it, which is a great thing to have in a game in a small collection. I'm yeah. hoping the crew or like Race for the Galaxy for me would sort of fit that same niche, but I think you don't have that as much in yours. And so I think, and I mean, it's it's your collection and this is yeah. one of your favorite games of all time. So how could I possibly fault that? Totally. Okay, let's do the list overall. I'll, I'll read mine and then you should read yours. So I have The Resistance, The Fox in the Forest, King Domino, Carpe Diem, Sushi Go, and Modern Art, all for $98.06. What a steal. Uh, and for me, I picked The Isle of Cats. It's like Board Game Geek 106 or something. Race for the Galaxy, Board Game Geek like 70. So Clover, Quicks. And the crew deep sea board game geek like 44. So basically, I have like three top 100 games in this little five game collection for 97, 57. And I just, I would just have to say, Brendan, it's it's quality over quantity for me. But we can all see clearly what sort of you went for. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> I wasn't even prepared for this. I didn't know we were drafting based on board game geek rating. That's why I was smirking because I was like googling all those. It's like. Let's see. Oh, I think these are in the top 100. I draft Gloomhaven for my one game, my entire collection. <laughs> but I have to get it you on know, sale. A lot of people would probably like that. Oh, yeah. Too expensive. Dang it. Yeah. <laughs> I So this exercise overall, Jake, did anything surprise you or sort of jump out at you? I know for me, I was really surprised by how tough it was to... I, I guess what surprised me was how many lighter games packed such a punch for relatively little cost and how many heavy games were way more expensive than I guess I appreciated if you only have $100 to spend. Yeah. Like a $40 game or a $50 game or a $60 game becomes such an investment. And it's a good reminder that board games, we play a lot of our games online on, on Board Game Arena. We have subscriptions there, so it, it feels fairly cheap. But this is an expensive hobby and this was a, a good reminder of that. Definitely. And I it does seem, I think that I had a similar takeaway of just like light games in your collection offer so much value. Yeah. I think that also speaks to like who I am and when I typically have in playing games in person, it more often than not, it's light game. You know, yeah. I love these heavier game experiences and I love midweight game experience, but at the end, where I'm at right now in my life, it's like I go to a game night every other week on Wednesday when I can make it maybe you know one another time in that i'm probably playing like on the table like four times a month yeah. and for like a heavier like a you know a board gaming experience and the rest of the time if i'm getting a game to the table it's it's like the mind you know or yeah. something quick something light just because those seem to be the gaming experience that fit better in with the other things that I'm doing and the people that I have around me, which is fantastic. So that probably is showing up in my collection too. But yeah, when you're on a limited budget, I think probably having a quite a few lighter games is it's gotta be a must. I think also too, that word collection looms large over both Jake and I's mind. So there's probably another strategy to do this exercise where you just draft three games you really enjoy and it's valid, right? Like you you have three games that you really enjoy and that's a great collection. But I think we both, to differing extents, wanted to have more options. 
So I did think maybe, okay, maybe I should do something like I'll just take Babylonia because I know nine game nights out of 10, if someone wants to play Babylonia, I'm down. It offers a really solid two player experience, really solid four, but it felt like I, I wanted to go more broadly. It also surprised me with there are games that I really love that I never would have picked. I put Keyflower on the list just to kind of pull the key hater out of Jake a little bit, but at $52, unjustifiable with this exercise in my mind. Just too yeah. expensive. I think it also kind of gets back to the point of like why I'm so hesitant to like te- like suggest that anyone should buy a game. Like yeah. I'm happy to suggest like play a game, but just for like even if you know the the cost and also just the space bigger games yeah. take up. And when I look at my game collection, I have so many like big boxes. Or and when I say big box, I just mean like the normal board game size box games that come out like once a year, maybe. Yep. Or less, <laughs> if I'm being honest. And that's okay. Like, I love having them. It makes me happy to have the option to play these games. But, you know, it just feels like if at this point, honestly, if I'm buying a new game, it's more because, like, I want to own it because I like it, you know, yeah. and I want to, like, have that object. And that just feels a little absurd to, like, recommend <laughs> to anyone else. Whereas with the light games, you know, it just, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, like the if I show a friend the mine and it costs ten bucks, and they I see them buying the game, I'm just like, yes, that's like such a huge win. I'm so happy. Whereas I don't think I would feel the same way like if I played a feast for Odin with some friends on my birthday, and then afterwards, like that was great. I'm like buying that right away. I might be like, I might be like, that's kind of weird because like good luck getting it to the table a lot and i have it already so like why don't you just play it together over here did you google a feast for odin for this exercise i did not i did because i'm a silly guy we could not do it (laughs) (laughs) how much is it i could fit my entire collection in the box for a feast for odin also i don't know if this price is real but right now it's looking like you're gonna pay 94 dollars and 69 cents so, I mean, that's, uh, I think that's about right. I bet that's probably yeah. pretty close to what I paid for it. But hey, we could both get our collections in the box. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I love the game, but it's just silly to recommend something like that to yeah. an audience at large for all the reasons we left listed in our like gift giving thing. I think like the bigger the game is and the more expensive the game is, the more difficult I guess we're just saying something obvious, but like the more difficult it is to like recommend or even like think for a second that would have broad appeal. But that's what's amazing about our hobby that we have these like incredibly niche products that can make people with incredibly niche tastes very happy. And, you know, I'm happy for that. Also, we're such an enigma, Jake. Two people made a podcast called Decision Space, but we actually, you know, trend towards and love light games. Who knew? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Go figure. Who, who knew? Who, who could have thought that? But yeah, I think great job bringing us full circle. I want to remind everyone uh, that we would love for you to participate in our community rankings for our year in review episode coming up. Check out decisionspacepodcast.com forward slash rankings for more on that or our discord, which you can find a link to in the show notes. We're covering BattleCon next week. And when you hear this, just do the rankings. Just like go do it real quick if you have time and you want to participate because we might be moving pretty quick on those and we'd love to have your thoughts included in that episode. Yeah, and I can't wait to see all of your $100 game collections in the Discord. I, you know, excited to see what other people would pick and of course, who you think won out of our little experiment. 
in the announcements channel, we're going to do a vote on the announcement for this episode in our Discord where you can click the emoji for Jake's collection or for mine. That's how we'll tally the winner. Perfect. See who who wins. And we'll list them there again. Uh, So thanks for listening to another episode of Decision Space. This one, a little bit fun, a little bit looser, and hopefully uh, just an enjoyable ride through and through. And we'll see you next week for BattleCon. And thank you as always to Hembry for our intro and outro music. Goodbye. Goodbye.